0: This morning we continue our series, Spirituality for a Real World, as we make our way through the book of James. Up to this point, James has been like a really wise grandparent with lovely sayings and proverbs, but today he's arguing, he's debating. Listen to what has him upset. Chapter two, beginning at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, If you say you have faith but do not have works, can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your works, your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, likewise was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. This past Tuesday afternoon, I played a round of golf with three guys from the church. We had a good time, good weather, good company. When I'm not playing with friends or with my son, they randomly pair me up with someone. And it's usually interesting even for an introvert. Four, maybe five years ago, I got paired up with a guy at random, just the two of us. I would tell you his name, but I don't think he ever gave it to me. He had earbuds in the whole time. He did not take them out, which would have been fine, except he was spraying the ball everywhere, and I would see which tree it went behind, and I would say, it's over behind that tree. But he had earbuds in, so he couldn't hear me. Finally, about the 14th, 15th hole, I'd had enough, and we were waiting for the group in front of us, and I motioned like, take those out, and I said, so what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a professor of sociology. You hear it, don't you? Sociologists study how humans socialize, and this guy didn't socialize. In the book of James, that's called double-minded. It'd be like if I said, oh me, I'm a pastor, but on the side to make money, I sell meth. Okay, it wouldn't be quite that bad, but you get the point. It's, it's double-minded. The two things don't go together. When I was in seminary, one hot summer, I mowed lawns down in Fort Worth. This other student had bought a truck and a couple of mowers and he hired me and another guy. So we would show up at his house early in the morning, load the mowers, load ourselves into the cab, and drive off into the nicer part of Fort Worth. We mowed some of the most gorgeous landscape lawns, stunning with pools and gardens. And then we'd drive back to his house, which was a patch of weeds. That's double-minded in the book of James. Or, or like this woman I know who said, her husband builds decks, gorgeous decks, like you would see in a magazine but they can't go out on theirs because it's about to fall off the side of the house. James calls that double-minded. The two things don't go together. So James tells his own little story. It's a short one, and you can imagine it sort of fleshed out. Somebody's leaving church on a Sunday morning, goes out the door, and there's a woman. She's hungry. She needs clothing. Maybe she has a cardboard sign. And the person leaving the church says, go in peace. Go. I hope you get your fill. Seriously? That's it? Just go in peace? In the first century, that phrase was kind of the equivalent of, well, good luck. I hope you get what you need. Is there anything worse than Christian cliches in the face of suffering? You know, People on the street can't eat thoughts and prayers. Good luck. This is why James has moved from lovely little wisdom sayings to debate. And he's pretty charged up. He, he calls his interlocutor, his debater, he, he calls him a senseless person, which in Greek is it's just empty person. You're empty. He is upset with how they are living. And so he debates. I have to say, I used to like debate. Maybe I still do a little bit. When I was a kid, my mom said, first or second grade, she said, he's going to be a lawyer. He's always arguing. And I'm pretty sure when she said that, I argued back that, no, I don't like to argue, but I did. I liked to argue. And when I went to seminary, I like to debate, I don't mean formal debate, but you know, over coffee, let's talk about this. What do you think? Oh, you gotta be kidding, and we would have this debate. And when I taught at the seminary, we didn't have debate, but I wanted students to be able to defend their position. But here's the thing about debate. In politics, maybe it makes sense, but in religion, debate can distract from what matters. It can take us down a road that doesn't matter. I used to play golf with a guy named Bill. He did not wear earbuds, although I wish he had. Bill had grown up in church. He'd quit sometime as an adult, but he still had all this church stuff and he loved to throw it at me, you know, like, so Mike, this is us walking down the fairway. You think Adam and Eve had a belly button? Like, who cares, right? I mean, like, I'm going to debate this. Or who did Cain and Abel marry? How did they get married? So most of the time, I would ignore him, right? I had this strategy. When he would throw one of those out, I would say, hey, Bill, is, is that a new putter? Where, what, what kind is that? One time, I decided, okay, I'll bite. And I went into the argument, but this is what I said. Bill, I can chase that rabbit, but here's my understanding of the religion or the faith called Christianity. Ultimately, it's about making a difference in the world and caring for the vulnerable. And you know what he said? Hey, what kind of putter is that? Is that new? It would be hard for me to express how much ink has been spilled on this passage. Dissertations, whole books, whole careers have been made on this passage. It's because the book of James barely, barely got into the New Testament, almost didn't make it. And there were a variety of reasons, but one of them was he appears to contradict the apostle Paul. (laughs) Well, if you do that, you're not in good standing, right? And so there's always been this debate, And it's true that the Apostle Paul says, you are saved by faith alone. But Greek words that Paul uses and that James uses, they're the same words, but they don't have to mean the same thing. Words have multiple definitions in English as well as in Greek. So when Paul says you're saved by faith and not by works, when James uses that word, works, you probably could just as easily translate it deeds or actions. In other words, people of faith should have some kind of demonstration of actions or some kind of deeds that follow. And when Paul says that's what saves, that same word in James could be translated, that is what makes you whole. And making whole is the exact opposite of double minded For James, it's double-minded to have two things that don't go together. But if you want to have wholeness, if you want to have salvation, if you want to have completion or reaching your potential, whatever you call it, it is a faith that is demonstrated in some kind of deed. Really, for James, who Luther, by the way, called an epistle of straw, but for James, it's not faith versus works. It's a life of faith with works or a life of faith without them. You, you, You tell me which one's valid. Some of you will remember me telling you this parable before. It comes from Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher. Denmark, in his time, was a a kind of state religion. People were born into the tradition. Well, if people are born into Christianity, they could easily take it for granted. And so, Kierkegaard was trying to figure out a way. How do you you wake people up? So, he kind of would sneak up on the truth with parables. So, he told this parable. a little village where on Sunday mornings, all the ducks would go to duck church. They'd waddle down the road and go to duck church. The duck choir would sing, duck preacher would get up and preach. This is what they did on Sundays. Well, one Sunday, the duck preacher felt particularly inspired and he said, ducks can fly. You know that, right? Ducks can fly. We were made to fly. And it wasn't very common, but on that Sunday, one of the ducks even said, amen. This was a big deal. Ducks can fly. And afterwards, they thanked the preacher, and they all waddled back home. No flying. I have preached in lots of churches over the years. Not a duck church. It's not on my list. But I've preached in denominations. I've lost count. Do you know how many expressions of Christian faith are out there? I don't mean denominations. I mean, even within denominations, just incredible variety of expressions of faith. There are people into Celtic spirituality, walking a prayer labyrinth, breath prayer, Pentecostal worship, waving their hands, speaking in tongues, dancing, handling snakes in some places. So many varieties. But bedrock to the Christian faith is caring for the vulnerable in all of those. Famously, a few years ago, one of those radio talk show hosts said, if you're sitting in a pew and they say something about social gospel, you get up and leave. They're talking about caring for the poor. I think James would say the opposite. If you're sitting in a pew and they don't say something about it. Some of you will know the name, Tony Campolo. 20 years ago or so, he was a popular preacher and writer and speaker. Mostly in evangelical circles, but he was always pushing them. He he was pushing for care for the environment before evangelicals even thought about it. But mostly championing the cause of the poor. I heard him at William Jewell College here in town. Friends of mine on the religion department said, come and hear Campolo. So I went, sat in the chapel, and he said to all those undergrads, I don't know what you're gonna do. Nursing, engineering, I don't know. You're gonna make a lot of money, I'm sure. Just don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. He was always pushing, pushing. Probably the one time he pushed the most though was at another occasion he began his sermon like this. There are three things I wanna tell you this morning. Number one, while you were sleeping last night, 30,000 children died of starvation and malnutrition in this world. Number two, most of you don't give up and he used very colorful language. And then he said, number three, some of you are more upset about the language I just used than how many kids died of starvation. I, I would not use that language here in this place. My hunch is you would feel uncomfortable, I would feel uncomfortable, but here's what gets me. I have neglected the poor so many times and never felt the least bit uncomfortable.